I'm assuming most of you know or meet, at least heard of Jeopardy, the, the game show, and uh, the concept behind it, which is that uh, you aren't um, answering a question. You're giving, they give you the answer to a question, and then you provide them with uh, the question to which that is the answer. Uh, so let's pretend we're on Jeopardy for a moment. This might totally backfire, but uh, we're going to try it. And so the category, you know, imagine those boxes on the screen that they have, and there's multiple categories. And the one category is everyday conversations. Uh, and the answer that comes up, you know, everyday conversations for 500 uh, comes up and it just says busy. What's the question to which that's the answer? What is how have you been? What is how have you been? Yes. <laughs> uh, what is, how are you? Uh, or what is the most common answer to how are you? Or how's it going? And the answer that we often give is busy. I'm busy. I've got all this stuff going on. Uh, it's just the, a thing that we've so gotten used to saying is that I'm busy. That's my life. I'm one thing after another. I'm busy. And we rarely would say, well, how are you, how are you doing? How, how's it going? We'd, I'm so calm. I'm so relaxed. I have so little to do. I'm just kind of like, it's like I'm just floating down the river of life with not a care. We like never answer that. Um, maybe when we're on vacation. Uh, we might say, like, oh, that was so relaxing. But then we get back to busy. I'm busy, 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 busy. And we are busy all the time. And we almost can wear it as a badge of pride. I don't know if you've had experiences where somebody asks you, how's it going? And you thought, wow, I feel, I'm feeling pretty good, actually. Like, uh, you know, life's going well. We kind of almost feel bad to answer that. Like, if we don't say busy, it's like, what are you doing with your life? If you're not busy, <laughs> you must be wasting your life. There's so much to do. Like, what are you doing? You should be busy. We almost, you know, wear it as like this is my the symbol that if I say I'm busy, it means I'm not wasting my life. Like I'm getting things done, I'm accomplishing things, and we may be afraid that someone would think less of us if we didn't say I'm busy. And so I'm just we're not going to write it on the whiteboard or anything. But um, what makes our lives busy? What are the things that make our lives busy? And just shout out what uh, it could be for you personally, or just things you know in general. What makes our lives Work. busy? Work. Work. Stress and anxiety. Stress and anxiety can make us feel very, very busy. Yeah. Also makes our lives busy. Family. 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 Visiting family. Projects. Projects. We have around the whole house, landscaping, and you know whatever else we might be doing. Painting. Also makes our lives busy. Kids. Well, I said family, but if you have little kids at home, that makes your life busy. Sports and activities that might be in. Schoolwork you need to do. Work, making an income. Making an income, yeah, i got to pay these bills somehow. And even paying the bills can make us feel busy. Like, oh, i got to go on and figure out how to pay this thing online. You know, what, how do I do that? Christmas shopping, that's coming up. Uh, we always are like, we got to get this done, you know, before everything's out of stock or whatever. Caregiving. Caregiving, I have someone in your life that it's like they need my attention. I have to go to them and give my time to them. Yeah. Cars, getting them repaired, keeping them up to date. Uh, you know, all, lots of things that keep us busy. And I just want you to give a bulletin. Uh, take a moment and maybe some of these things brought up uh, moving. You guys are about to move, so moving makes us very busy, traveling. Uh, write down maybe your top, I don't know, one, two, or three things that you would say, this is what makes my life busy right now. What are the top two or three, one, two, or three things that make your life busy right now? Just write that down on, the bull, on your bulletin. We'll come back to it later. What are the top things that make your life busy right now?
we'll have those things in mind as we go through this passage. And we're going through the Gospel according to Luke. Um, and I'll just intro it as you're writing down those top uh, things that make you busy. Is that the Gospel according to Luke, uh, a man named Luke went and he investigated. He'd been hearing this story about Jesus, had followed along the story for a long time, decided I'm going to go back to kind of the original people that were telling this story, that experienced Jesus, and he wrote down uh, this account of Jesus' life, what he did. And Jesus sums up the reason for why he came in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, to seek and to save the lost. And so that's what this whole uh, account of Jesus' life, the Gospel according to Luke, is about. And we're in a section in it where Jesus, we're calling the journey to Jerusalem. The first uh, chapters 1 through 9 covered like um, uh, several years, well, kind of 30 years of Jesus' life, and then uh, chapters 4 through 9, we're covering like a three-year period of him doing all these things in mostly the region of Galilee in Israel. And then in chapter 9, it says he sets his face to go to Jerusalem, and he's taking this pilgrimage there, uh, a road trip with all the other people that would be going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so this section we're in, chapters 9 through 19, is really his journey there. Um, not, that would have taken you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, but he's traveling, and he's going to these towns along the way, and he's talking to the people there, giving them the message that he has for them, which is uh, essentially that the kingdom of God has come, uh, and how are you going to respond to that? And this passage that we're in, this, the passage we're looking at today, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, is the middle passage of three that go together. The one we saw last, uh, two weeks ago, was about uh, loving our neighbor. How do we love other people as we love ourselves? And this one is about listening to Jesus. And then next week is about uh, loving God um, through interacting with him uh, in prayer. And this middle passage we're looking at today is who's going to teach us how to love our neighbors? Who's going to teach us how to love God? This middle passage is Jesus is the bridge between those two that we need to come to him and say, Lord, teach me. Teach us to love God. Teach us to love other people. So this is the focus of this passage. We're learning from Jesus. And the way you can make this personal is really we're going to see two very vivid pictures of different ways to be interacting with Jesus or going through life. And just be asking yourself, which one is me? There's two ladies in the story. Which one more, most closely resembles what your life is like? And it's kind of like a mirror. Which one describes you? And do you... When you think, yeah, that sounds a lot like me, do you like what you're seeing in the mirror? Is that how you want your life to be? And so we'll start, uh, we'll go through the passage, just these five verses, starting in verse uh, 38. Uh, this is Jesus in the home of a lady named Martha. And it says, they, you know, on the way, it says, verse 38, chapter 10 of Luke, says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And so, as I said, Jesus is going on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's going, he's sending his disciples out ahead of him. And they are uh, telling people, you know, the kingdom is coming. They're proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he says, the people that receive you, stay there. And so Martha is one of these people that as they go through towns, she receives Jesus' disciples and receives Jesus. And so he comes and stays in her home. And there's the expectations, like, we're staying here, invite your family, your friends, your neighbors, and Jesus is going to teach, and they're maybe going to get food and stay there the night. And so Martha's someone that is uh, what the disciples are looking for. They're looking for people that are saying, yes, we want to receive this. We want the new king. And so they're, you know, she's doing a lot of stuff right. Welcomes him into her home, uh, and perhaps others from the town as well are there at this time. 
And in verse 39, we're introduced to a second character. It says, And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And this position of sitting at Jesus' feet is sitting there in this surrendered position saying, Teach me. She wants to listen to what he has to say. And this is a rabbi talking to one of his disciples, which in that culture would have been uh, kind of radical to have a woman being a disciple of Jesus, sitting there listening, uh, being taught, saying, you know, sitting at uh, Jesus' feet. And something remarkable about Jesus and about the Gospel according to Luke and the New Testament is how uh, important women were as Jesus' disciples. We saw, saw in Luke uh, chapter 8, verse 2, two through 3, three women are named uh, there, Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, and Susanna. These three women that are listed among that are following Jesus and supplying his needs and, and working uh, on mission with him. And we, Other women we read about in the Bible, Phoebe, Priscilla, Lydia, uh, the four daughters of Philip, these women that are uh, all featured very prominently in Jesus' uh, teaching and in his mission. And in all the Gospels, women were the first to witness the resurrection. They're the first to see the empty tomb. They're the first to see Jesus alive. And so women are a huge, big part of Jesus' ministry, really showing, uh, no, women have an equal opportunity here to be Jesus' disciples, to learn from him, for him to be uh, the teacher, not, um, you know, you guys go and take over all, kind of all the house stuff and the food stuff, and the men are going to learn from Jesus, and you bring us out, you know, whatever dates and whatever else you would be eating in the Middle East to bring us uh, those things. But there's a contrast in verse 40. But Martha, so there's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So she's distracted with much serving. Uh, as we said, she, Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, so done a good thing there. That's what they're supposed to do, good response. And then probably invited family and friends, neighbors over, like, hey, I'm having this Jesus guy here, you can come and hear them. So she, you can imagine there's guests in the house, and I don't know what you're like when people are about to come over, but all of a sudden it's like, what do we have to feed them? Does our house look good? You know, our thing's messy. And so Martha's busy with those tasks. She's like, I need to bring, provide food for all these people. I need to, you know, get them water. You know, whatever it is that they need, she's distracted, we're told, with much serving for the guests. And then we're told, and she went up to him. And so Mary's sitting at his feet, listening, which means Jesus is talking and teaching, and Martha comes up to him in the middle of his teaching and interrupts him with this thing that she needs, wants him to do. So first she starts with a question, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Another place that this word uh, care shows up is in Mark 4.38, where the disciples are on a boat, and all of a sudden there's a storm that whips up, and they're afraid they're going to die, that they're going to perish. And Jesus is asleep, and they wake him up, and they say, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? And so there's you know, similar question. Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? And I wonder if you've ever asked Jesus that. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care what I'm going through here? I'm alone. I'm in pain. I'm struggling. I'm tired. I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm alone. Don't you care? And you know, there's no shame in, in if you've asked that, it's way better to come to God with our anger rather than be like, I'm going to kind of get calmed down, like we talked about before the service started. I want to bring in, you know, my good feelings uh, when I'm 
got things put together. But no, we come to him with our anger, even when our anger is about him. There's lots of examples of that in the Psalms, that the best thing to do when we think God has let us down is to go tell God about it. You've disappointed me. You've, what are you doing? Like, Don't you care? Can't you see? And so if you felt that, and if you're feeling it now, I would encourage you to go to God with that and say, don't you care? I don't get it. What's going on? Where are you? So she starts with a question, and then she goes to a command. Uh, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Where should a woman be? In the kitchen, serving. I'm doing this stuff for my guests. Lord, tell her to come over and help me, to get, uh, you know, get off her butt and come do the things she's supposed to be doing, helping me serve everyone else who's here in my house. And uh, she's not supposed to be learning with the men, but serving. And so I just find it amazing that this whole interaction is even in the Bible. This is like a sibling conflict. That Mary's or Martha's trying to pull Jesus into the sibling conflict. She's mad at her sister, tries to pull Jesus into it, and then the writers of the you know the gospel accounts decide this is worth writing down. This sibling conflict that happened when Jesus was in Martha's house and this little fight that she's having, trying to pull Jesus into that fight. And the reason it's in here is that uh, there's a deep lesson in it. It's not just like oh wow, look Jesus. Uh, took care of the sibling conflict. But there's a lesson for us in what happens here, especially in what Jesus says. And so in verse 41, his response is this, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Just that double use of her name, Martha, Martha, there's a, a tenderness in there, a, a caring for her, um, that he doesn't just, you know, he's about, he basically, you know, rebukes her, corrects her, but he isn't like, what are you doing, interrupting my teaching? She's doing what she's supposed to do. Don't bother us with this. But he get, goes to her heart and wants to speak to her tenderly, Martha, Martha. He says, you are anxious and troubled. Look at the contrast here about many things, but one thing is necessary. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And it's like he looks her in the eyes with love and tells her, all this stuff you're anxious and troubled about, all this stuff isn't necessary. You don't need to be doing this. You don't need to be anxious and troubled by these things and because they're not necessary. And then he says, Mary has chosen the good portion, and the portion there uh, is really a, a food word. Uh, she's chosen the best dish here. She that. Martha is worried about all this food that needs to get made, you assume, all the serving. And she's like, I need Mary to get in here and help me with this food. And Jesus is like, no, she's chosen the best dish. She's chosen the food that's most important here. And that's not going to be taken away from her. She's sitting and eating a meal by listening to my teaching. And Jesus says, I'm not going to take that from her. And this is the second time so far in Luke's Gospel that Jesus points to a woman at his feet as an example for the rest of us to uh, uh, follow. And uh, the other one happened in chapter 7, verse 44, where he's at Simon's house, and uh, uh, who's a Pharisee, and a woman comes in, and she starts crying at Jesus' feet and starts washing her feet with her hair. And he, the Simon you know, is all ruffled up. He says, wow, who do you, if he knew who this person was, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. And he says, I have a lesson for you. Look at this woman. She's been forgiven much, therefore she loves much. And now here's another situation. There's a woman at Jesus' feet, and he's saying, look, this is what you're supposed to be doing, Martha. What's interesting is the Lord, 
That phrase is used three times here. Uh, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, verse 39. Verse 40, Martha says, Lord, do you not care? In verse 41, but the Lord answered her. And so who's in Martha's home? The Lord, the king, the king of this kingdom that the disciples came in, the kingdom's coming. Uh, and then they're like, who, who wants in? And Martha's like, yes. And they welcome the king into their home and he's sitting there teaching. The king is there and the Lord uh, is who is with them. And what ought you to be doing is sitting, listening to him, hearing from him, learning from him. And so I said at the beginning, there's two pictures in this passage. And consider which one best describes your life. Uh, and it's kind of like looking in the mirror. So I'm just going to write down some of the characteristics that we see here going back through uh, some of the things that have been said. And so let's do picture one is Martha. So she starts off, great, welcomes Jesus. You're going to discover that my handwriting isn't great. Plus, I'm like too tall, I can't get down there. So, you know, bear with me. So she welcomes him, but then she's distracted with much serving. There's so much to do, and she's distracted by it. Secondly, she approaches Jesus while teaching, which this is a plus, I think, that she, you know, that this is like, I mean, prayer in a way. He's there physically, so she's going to him uh, with her need, with her desire, uh, calls Jesus Lord, uh, but then she asks, uh, do you care? Asks him a question, uh, gives him a command, tell her to do something, tell this other person to do something uh, to help me, and then Jesus describes her as Anxious and troubled about many things. And then in contrast, the other image we have is Mary. So she um, is sitting uh, at the Lord's feet, listening. So sitting, listening. And Jesus describes her as chose the good portion. So we have these two pictures in this story. And Jesus points to one as an example which we're to follow. And I wanted this up here so that uh, you could just see really visually which picture best describes me. Is this what my life looks like? Or is this what my life looks like? And you know, there's a mix of, of good in, with Martha too, but there's things that Jesus is trying to correct in her. And this is just one snapshot of these two ladies' lives. Uh, if you go to, you know, sometimes Martha gets kind of a really bad rap, but if you go to John 11, um, these are the sisters of Lazarus, and Martha's the one who confesses to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. So she's like, she's in, whether, you know, this part, she's, made, she's still learning, she's welcomed the king to her home. John 11, you can see, like, she has this full faith of what Jesus can do. As, but as we look at these pictures, and we may think, you know, what about listening to Jesus today? Well, he's not here. He's not sitting there in a chair for us to go sit at his feet. Um, so how do we listen to him? We may think that Mary and Martha have an advantage over us. Jesus was physically there. Wouldn't it be so much easier to follow Jesus and listen to him if he was right here in the room with us? But actually, Jesus said uh, it's to our advantage that he goes away. Because in uh, the Gospel according to John, he says, If I don't go away, I cannot send the Spirit. And so he says, it's to my, your advantage that I go away, that I'm not physically with you, because it's better for you to have the Spirit. Because now the Holy Spirit, when we trust in Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit to be in us. And so now the Spirit is always with us, not just when we're physically by Jesus, 
So the Holy Spirit's always with us. And also now Jesus' words are no longer external coming into us, but now they're internal uh, moving from the inside out, that we have His Spirit to guide us. Not just His words, but actually His Spirit, His attitude, His disposition, His character is being put, is put into us by the Spirit, and the Spirit wants to grow that uh, us more and more into His image. So just throw out, what are some ways we can listen to Jesus today? What have you found helpful? What are some ways we listen to Jesus today? Read his words. Read his words. We can read the Bible, the written word. Yeah, read about him and read words that were inspired before him and after him. Mm-hmm. Other ways we can listen to Jesus today. Taking time to meditate or just ponder. Okay. And not be hurried through it. Slow down, meditate on what's said, just kind of take it in and let it, you know, do its work in us. Yeah. Um, if you feel like you're convicted, maybe God's convicting you to do something or not do something, you just kind of go with what it's time to do. So there might be an inner sense of like this is God saying this is bad or saying God's going this, wants me to go this way. Yeah, say something to somebody or, or uh, just whatever. Yeah, so that would be the Holy Spirit within, guiding us, being our counselor, um, showing us what to do, what not to do. In other ways? And ask uh, for wise counsel from somebody else. Oh, yeah. Other people. Can, God can speak to us. Jesus can speak to us. Because he's with in Brian, so that means Jesus can speak to me through Brian. You know, other people. Listening to the words of uh, songs. Okay, not yeah. Not just hearing the music, but listening to the lyrics. For sure. I mean, there's you know, when you read about what the the apostles in the New Testament are telling the church to do, it's always involves singing. When you get together, sing to one another because it's yeah does something in us those words and the music. Yeah. Circum- just like circumstances, like especially okay. answered prayers, I'd say. Mm. A prayer is answered. I don't know. Like just like this week, I had something happen where God just answered a prayer of mine very like the next day, and it was like very clear and it just you know it just made my heart just mm. you know I just felt joy and, and so I just you know mm. knew that God was had listened to me so felt very cared mm. for yeah sometimes maybe that's our hardest way to hear is like you have to really be paying attention and know God is in my life he's directing me so we have to see it in our circumstances yeah outside. outside yeah nature is uh, a form of God's no, his words, but it's, you know, in nature that he's speaking through it. Yeah. Psalm 19, Romans 1, talk about that. Being attuned to God um, and the truths that we learn from Scripture um, throughout all the rest of the busyness, mm. all of those other things that are occupying our time, mm. um, so that you are applying and considering those <coughs> things in everyday moments. Mm. So it's like, in the busyness, we right. can be listening to what do I? What has God told me? What's He telling me now? And think, yeah. yeah, and like for example, thinking about like, oh, God has a deep love for this person, and that's going to change how you're thinking about that, your interactions with that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I find all these answers isn't that exciting? I don't, what did we just list? Seven ways that Jesus speaks to us today, which means we can hear Him today. That it doesn't have to be. Well, that was nice two thousand years ago. It must have been nice, Martha. You had him right there in your home. You could listen to him. I don't get that anymore. Jesus says, no, it's better for you. So I'm always with you. I'm inside you to be able to guide you and, and change you. So there was this thing that we used to do um, 
in college ministry, and some of you guys have experienced it, this thing called Stellarium, where I have those pictures, and we spread them all out, and we use the images and pictures to talk about things. And the thing that we would ask college students was, um, look at these images. Which image do you think uh, best describes your life? You know, one, two, or three images. It's like, well, this one, this one, here's why those images are, describe my life. And then we would ask them, which images do you wish described your life? Um, so that's, you know, our hopes, our desires, our dreams. We picked this one. And so as we look at these two pictures, which one do you feel like best describes your life? And which one do you wish described your life? And when I think about, you know, this one, I mean, there's good things here. You know, she welcomes Jesus. Um, she approaches him. She calls him Lord. But there's a lot of things we saw that uh, we probably wouldn't want to have. She feels very frantic, very scram- uh, uh, scrambling. Um, she, we're told that she's anxious and troubled. She's distracted. And I can often feel that that's what my life is. Like, okay, God, I just went through a whole day, and I didn't stop once to even consider what you might be saying to me, what you wanted to do. I was just kind of doing my thing, and I'm feeling anxious and stressed about it. And uh, Martha's, what we see from her prayer life is she calls him Lord, but then she accuses him of not caring, and she tells him what to do. So it's like, wait a second, who's Lord in this situation? Uh, who should be telling who what to do? Uh, you know, it's fine for us to go to God with that. He's not going to get out of here. You know, until you can talk to me better, uh, don't come talk to me. But we should bring ourselves to God, whatever is bubbling up within us. What were you going to say, Annie? Um, I, Jesus said that she's anxious and troubled. I, I think she could also be thought of as being angry. Could, yeah, angry, yeah, you can right? kind of hear yeah, that. Like, angry. why don't you care? Yeah, angry. Yeah. yeah. That, that would, uh, and a lot of times, anxiety comes out as anger. It's, anger oftentimes is a secondary emotion that's actually coming from fear, anxiety, and stress. Um, but she, what else does she do? She's, uh, it's ironic, she calls him Lord and tells him what to do. She's focused on herself. My sister has left me alone. Tell her to help me. And so she's kind of like, Jesus, I need things from you. And it, he, she says, you know, Jesus, here's my problem. If you care, you do something about it. Um, you know, if, if you want to prove you care about me, do this. And consider for yourself, does that describe your prayer life? That uh, we bring our problems to Jesus and we think if he cares, this is what it would look like for him to care about me. And the contrast is listening to Jesus, learning from him, doing what he says, having this calm, sitting before him, listening. And she's also has this, she's busy with doing um, versus sitting and listening. You have this contrast that she's Martha's very busy, and Mary is sitting to listen. And there's really two dangers we have uh, when it comes to what Jesus says. Um, the one is hearing without doing, uh, that we hear what Jesus says, and then we don't do it. Jesus said earlier in chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? There's these people around him that are listening to what he has to say, and then they walk away unchanged. They don't do what he says. And it's like you're, it's like you're building your life on sand, that you're hearing what I do, hearing what I say, but you're not doing anything with it. He says, if you want to build your life on a solid foundation, hear what I have to say, and then do it. So that's one danger, hearing without doing. The second is danger is doing without knowing Jesus. And he says in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then there's these people, he says, some of you will say, but we've healed all these people. We've been casting out demons in your name. What are you talking about? We're not doing your will. He says, yeah, but I never knew you. And so there's groups of people 
that are doing, 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 and he would say to them, yeah, I hear you did all that stuff in my name, but you really didn't know me. And he says, uh, you know, be gone, basically. So there's this quadrant. Uh, I'll attempt to draw it. There's a listening. I'm not familiar with quadrants. They're kind of fun. Listening. Not. Listening. And there's doing. Not. Doing. And the quadrants make a little square. And these things line up. So in one of the boxes, there would be listening, but not doing. And he says, why do you listen to me, but don't do what I, have, what I tell you to do? And then the other is uh, not listening and doing. And that's what Jesus in that second part, he said, you're doing all this stuff, but you're not listening to me. I don't, I don't know you. You're not coming to me. You're just kind of doing, 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 doing. I mean, the worst off would be uh, not, not listening and not doing, because there's no influence of Jesus. But what Jesus says, what he wants is listening and doing. Does that make sense how these line up? They you know, go into each other, kind of across. And so the best, what it describes in a disciple is someone who's listening to what Jesus has to say and doing it. There's a knowing of Jesus. I know him. I know what he wants. I know what he's saying. And then I'm going out and I'm doing it. And we're told in the Great Commission what, that Jesus gives in Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples. Uh, how do we make disciples? By teaching them to obey what I command. We're not supposed to go out and, I mean, there is teaching about Jesus that we're supposed to teach, learn who is Jesus, what was he about that's teaching about Jesus. But Jesus said, don't go teach people about me. He says, go teach people to obey what I have said, that we're making him the master of our life, our teacher, our Lord. And we're saying, Jesus, I want you to guide my life. You know what's best for it. You know uh, what it's supposed to look like. And so we're sent out uh, to teach people to obey and for me, I mean, on this quadrant, I'm a natural doer. So I can tend to just be going, you know, doing, but not really listening. Like, here's the things I need to do. Like, I wake up in the morning, it's like, what's the to-do list? Do, 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 do. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, did I even ask you, Lord, if this is what I should be doing? Or it's like, here's the things I'm trying to do. Please bless that thing I'm trying to do. Uh, instead of, like, sitting and saying, what do you want me to do? What are you wanting me to do today? The first thing we ought to do is just sitting and listening. And according to Jesus, why is Martha so busy? Why is she so busy? He says, because she's anxious and troubled about many things instead of choosing the one thing. And why does she feel alone? I'm alone, Lord. But don't you care that she's left me alone? And perhaps why she feels alone is because she's doing all these many things that Jesus never asked her to do instead of doing that one thing that Jesus is here. Her sister's here. And she could be sitting there with her sister in front of Jesus with these other people and not alone instead of I'm doing all these things that Jesus maybe didn't want her to do. We're told she's distracted with much serving, which implies her attention is not where it ought to be. She's doing a lot, but not listening much. She's distracted from Jesus. And so would think about yourself. Would Jesus describe you as distracted? You're doing all this stuff. You're anxious and troubled about many things. You're distracted. There's just one thing I want. When I was in college, um, we had, I can't remember who it was, my roommate and I had somebody over for dinner, and uh, after dinner, I kind of got up and started immediately cleaning the dishes. So I'm sitting here at the sink, and my roommate and the person we had over for dinner are sit, sitting over here at the table, and then Travis, my roommate, just says to me, Mitch, the, the dishes can wait. 
and I, I don't remember, I probably said something like, well, we need to do them. And he said, yeah, but the reason that we did this is so we could spend time with this person who's a guest in our apartment. The dishes don't need to be done right now. And I had missed the purpose of why this person was in my home. It's like, okay, we did dinner, now i got to go do this thing. And it's like, no, the purpose was to be with them, to have a relationship with them, interact with them. And what's happening with Martha is she's missed the purpose of Jesus' presence. You've welcomed him into your home, and the reason that he's here is so you can do the one thing that is necessary, to sit and listen to him and learn from him. And so for yourself, is Jesus standing in the middle of your life waiting for you to stop and listen as you kind of zip back and forth by him with all the stuff that you're doing, anxious and troubled about many things. And when Jesus talks about uh, the soils, what are the types of soils that, uh, in terms of their response to what Jesus says, the word, the gospel, Jesus' teaching, and the one soil is that the word, what Jesus is saying, is choked out by the cares of life. Choked out. That Jesus' words, what he's saying to us, choked out by the cares of life. I think you can kind of describe Martha as like, she's there, she could listen to Jesus, but it's being choked out by the cares of life. And lostness, in the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Lostness, being lost, might look like being busy with everything except the one thing that really matters, being distracted. And serving Jesus like Martha can become one of the cares of life that choked out the word. And maybe you think, if I'm doing something that's labeled religious or spiritual or ministry, then for sure I'm doing what Jesus wants me to do. But what you see from Martha here is that she is serving Jesus. She's doing ministry in Jesus' name. And yet Jesus says, you're anxious and troubled about it. You're distracted by these many things. But there's one thing I want from you. I want you. I want you to sit here. I want to teach you. I want to be in a relationship with you. Dallas Willard uh, said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. I don't remember, and there's another quote, I don't remember where it comes from, but it's, uh, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And if you've ever heard of um, the screw tape letters that C.S. Lewis wrote, which is basically like uh, an older demon coaching a younger demon and how to get this guy that he's been assigned to off course. And it's really not like getting him, yeah, we need to get him, you know, to be gambling, we need to get them to be drinking, we need to get them into all these terrible vices. It's more like very subtle, like just distract them. Get them to start caring about things that don't really matter. And I, just, I know it's kind of like, maybe it sounds cheesy, but it makes sense. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Busy with things that don't ultimately matter. And so what is choking out listening to Jesus in your life? That's why I had you make that little list at the beginning. That's your list of things that are potentially choking out listening to Jesus. You know, when you talked about at the beginning, what, is, what get, makes you busy in life? And you wrote down those couple things, like maybe that's what's choking Jesus out of your life, choking out listening to Jesus. And it's the many things versus the one thing necessary. And you can sympathize with Martha. She has these people in her home, they're going to expect a meal, and it's like, well, I have to get this dinner ready, or I have to get this, I have to get this, I have to get this, I have to make sure all this stuff is, is done. So you can sympathize with her, right? Wouldn't you think... Yeah, like, you're, they're in your home. And you feel like, yeah, I have to feed them. I have to, you know, provide for these people. I have to be a good host. And consider your own have-tos in life. Uh, well, I have to work. You know, well, I have to mow my lawn. 
Uh, well, I have to, you know, do this. I have to do that. Like, I can't take those things out, Mitch. Uh, what do you want me to do? Like, I have to do all those things. And the point isn't really, like, get rid of everything else in your life and just sit around listening to Jesus by reading your Bible and praying. That's not the point. It's kind of like uh, what Ashley was saying earlier, that it's in, the, in those things that we can actually be listening to Jesus. And we do so many things that create noise and distraction. Like, uh, it's like, oh, I'm at the doctor's office. I'm waiting 10 minutes. Well... And that's what we do, right? <laughs> like, that's about 10 minutes that it's like, why don't I just stop and sit here and talk to Jesus and breathe and listen? Something I try to do to start my day this night and, um, is before I start work, I set a little three-minute timer on my phone. Uh, I started with one minute, and then I was up to two, and I'm up to three. So before I start work, I just set a timer on my phone, and you, sometimes I'm like parked in the Starbucks parking lot, and I just kind of like recline back. I just breathe, and I'd be silent for those three minutes. And it's kind of hard at first. I encourage you to try it. Like, just, you know, set a one-minute timer and just sit there and be silent. Like, this is about you today. I want to listen to you, to learn from you. So what are those have-tos? Have-tos that are above Jesus in your life. And I just want to end with this one little quote. I heard it, and it makes a lot of sense. That we should be... Instead of being in the world for God, in the world for God, serving Him, doing His will, doing what He wants us to do, we should be in God for the world. See that contrast? In the world for God means I have all these many things that I need to do for God as opposed to I have the one thing, which is to be before Jesus, to be in God, to be living uh, out uh, His desires, being in connection with Him. I'm in God for the world instead of in the world for God. There's, so it's relationship comes first, listening to Jesus, being connected with Him. And uh, discipleship is not primarily about doing many things, but about learning to listen well to the things Jesus wants us to do. And there's a book, I'd encourage you with this book, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's really a guy writing about this dude named Brother Lawrence who just practiced the presence of God in all things. He would talk about, you know, I am just feel just as connected with God when I'm washing the dishes in the kitchen as when I'm off by myself. And so there's this practicing of the presence of God in our normal life. And in this book, he talks about this. He says, sometimes, when he's like in God's presence, sometimes I consider myself there as a stone before a carver, whereof he's to make a statue, presenting myself thus before God. I desire him, to, for, his perfect, for his perfect image to be made in my soul, that I could be entirely like him. And so when you imagine, like, okay, Jesus, today, I'm a piece of stone, and you're the carver, and I want you to make me you know, look like you today to listen for you. So we're in the world, uh, in God for the world, rather than in the world for God.